This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a look inside an important but sometimes opaque institution. That's the U.S. Immigration Court in downtown San Francisco, where every day in small, quiet courtrooms far removed from the loud national debate, Judges decide whether people should be removed from the country. New reporting by the Chronicle's Deepa Fernandez and Tal Copen shows that the court in San Francisco has stepped up a controversial practice, fast-tracking removal orders before immigrants can appear in person and make a case to stay in the country. The Department of Justice defends the practice of issuing what are known as in absentia orders of removal. But advocates for immigrants call this an unfair deportation conveyor belt. Joining me is Deepa Fernandez. Deepa, you recently spent a day in the San Francisco Immigration Court in the Financial District. Before we talk about exactly why you were there, tell us about the court itself. Thanks, Damien. Yeah, I've actually been spending time in the San Francisco Immigration Court building and inside courtrooms, you know, as a way to really start to understand one part of how this system works. So, you know, many people might not know it's it's run by the Department of Justice. It's this tall kind of nondescript building in the middle of the business district. Um, you go in, you go up to the, the floor where your, where your courtroom is that you will have your hearing. And there at you pass through security like you would in an airport. Um, you put your things on a little conveyor belt. They go through. You're not allowed to do any recording in the courtrooms. You're not allowed to to, to have certain types of things. So they they check you. You get to walk into the courtroom. Now all court all, all courtrooms are open to the public, so so anyone can go. Um, and you know, I think what really folks should understand is that it's a it's a little known place where a lot of really weighty decisions get made. And and that's what I wanted to see in action. They're, you know, fluorescent light lit courtrooms with the with the Department of Justice seal, um, you know, sitting right behind the judge. Some of the hearings, the judge is there in person. And some of the hearings, the judge appears on a video screen uh, from the the Adelanto Center, which is the one here in California. So not all hearings because of COVID are in person. And, and so when I went into the courtroom, I, I was really just curious as to how it was functioning and, and what was happening in various courtrooms. So you didn't go specifically to watch these in absentia orders being given out? No, I didn't, Damien. In fact, I didn't even know that was happening. I went to watch a very different thing, which is something that under the Biden administration has also ramped up. It's called a dedicated docket, where most recent people coming across the border who are seeking asylum 
uh, are being fast-tracked through, their cases are being heard. So I went in to see, well, how is this working and, and what's going on? And while I was there, uh, San Francisco attorneys run a program called Attorney of the Day. So, you know, as you know, immigrants who are in this process are not guaranteed an attorney in court like it would be in a criminal proceeding. So San Francisco advocates and, and got together and said, you know, we just want to have a presence in the courtroom so that there's someone that people who are going unrepresented can ask a question to. So it's called the Attorney of the Day program. And when I was in the very first hearing, that attorney said to me, you know, you may want to go to this other courtroom across the way and there's this thing happening called a return notice docket and you may want to check out what's happening there. So... Deepa, knowing you, you you did go across the hall. What did you find? Yes, I did. I was curious. Um, and so what I found was a bit confusing at first. It didn't quite make total sense. But as I sat there and processed it, I realized that, you know, what's happening is if you as an immigrant, um, when when you start your process to stay in the country, what you will do is put an address down where the court can reach you. Now, if you move, it's incumbent upon you to change your address so that the court knows where to reach you. And so the court routinely has mail sent back to them as address unknown or the the, the person who you're sending to is not found at this address. So the court will then probably send another notice just to make sure, well, you know, and they now have this growing stack of files, and this is nothing new, this has happened over the years, where the addresses don't work. So what I witnessed was a very specific docket where the court decided, well, let's try and find these people. Let's order them to come to court by sending them a notice to say, you have a new court date, come now. But what they were doing, Damien, was sending it to the address that was bouncing back. So, in effect, they were ordering people to come and appear in court when they suspected that they wouldn't because the address didn't work out. And so that's what I witnessed was a hearing dubbed the return notice docket specifically for people whose addresses were not working with the court. So just for context, Deepa, I mean, often immigrants, I would imagine, are pleading their cases, why they need to stay in the country, the circumstances they're in when they're in person. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you'll you'll have a hearing where you first come and, and, and a judge will say to you, okay, is this you? Is this the case? You know, do you understand your rights under immigration law? What is it that you want to plead? This might be the first chance where an immigrant says, you know, I'm escaping this or I want to apply for asylum or I don't know. Um, this is why I came. And, and, and then the judge will give you another hearing. They'll advise you to get an immigration lawyer. And, and you'll have multiple hearings. You'll have to show up at court various times. You may um, – and, and there's various reasons why people come to immigration court. But as, as it pertains to this, if you miss a hearing or if you don't show up, that could be enough for a judge under immigration law to actually order you removed, to actually enter a deportation order just because you're not there in court. And what did happen to this docket when you were in court? 
So I witnessed a judge very speedily. Uh, you know, a few people did show up, I have to say, um, even though the, the it was sent to an address that they didn't live at. So the judge started by seeing the people who were in front of her in the courtroom and asking them about their address, clarifying it, giving them a change of address form, and then giving them a new court date and telling them, you know, come back and your 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 case will proceed, but make sure, like really reiterating to them, make sure you you keep your address current with the court or it could negatively impact you. But then the judge moved on to this, this stack of blue case files and, you know, she went so quickly, it was really hard to keep up, but she essentially started going country by country of these case files that had returned notice dockets for which there was no one in the courtroom. You know, I and another reporter and an attorney were the only people in there at this point. So it was clear that no one had shown up for these cases. And so what she did was she asked the the immigration attorney, ICE's attorney, how they wanted to proceed. The ICE attorney said, you know, that they wanted to have an order of removal issued. And then the judge very speedily made sure that all the legal T's were crossed and I's were dotted that need to happen to order someone removed. And then she did what she called group removals. So she ordered people removed. And in total, in less than an hour, I witnessed 23 people ordered removed on one occasion. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle immigration reporter Deepa Fernandez. Deepa, this docket of cases, is it legal to remove people this way from the country? It's perfectly legal uh, under immigration law to remove people this way in in absentia. If you don't show up, that is that is your your fault, and you could be ordered removed. So it's perfectly legal. But what was interesting, Damien, was not all the judges that I saw actually did it that way. I, I explained right before the break how one judge did these group removal proceedings. You know, I wanted to tell you because I also saw another judge do almost the opposite. She actually went really in depth on each person's case file. She opened them, she scoured them, she looked for phone numbers. And from the bench, she called. She actually asked the ICE attorney who was on the phone, did he have any extra contact info for people? And and she really pushed uh, the immigration attorney to help her in the process of locating people. Um, And she called from the bench and, you know, it was very interesting to sit there and watch because in quite a few cases, people actually picked up the phone and then she had a conversation with them and said, do you know you're supposed to be in court? And some said, you know, all of them said no. Um, 
She clarified addresses. She told them that she could order them removed for not showing up because their address was wrong. She told them what to do. She told them to fill out a change of address. She told them and she gave them a new court date. Um, and she actually kind of seemed relieved when people picked up the phone that she'd, she'd located them. She'd found them and they did not get ordered removed. There were a handful that day when I witnessed um, this judge, Judge Dice, uh, doing this that no one picked up the phone. You know, her Googling of the address that was on record didn't show up anything. So she did end up ordering a few people removed in absentia. Um, but the, the attorney of the day in the courtroom, you know, objected to a few of those and, and asked specifically, how do you know, what proof do you have that if you're ordering this person removed to, say, Honduras, that this person is actually a citizen of Honduras? Because that's one of the criteria under which... It's legal under the law as long as you have proof. ICE has proof as to where this person is a citizen of. If you don't have that, you can't order them removed because where are you ordering them removed to? So the attorney of the day in court questioned a couple of those cases. And in response, the judge gave her proof as to what she had for why this person should be removed to said country. But then she offered kind of this little bone of, of hope of that, that she hoped there would be a motion to reopen the case. And, and I think that's the only hope that an immigrant has once they've been ordered removed like this is that they can then fight it. They can petition a judge to reopen their case um, and take it from there. But that's a, a, an extra step on top of, you know, making their case to stay in the country, which is complicated. And, you know, most immigrants probably who are in this situation probably wouldn't even know that they can do that. So once you have this order of removal, chances are when ICE catches up with you, you will be deported. So what does the Justice Department say about this? I mean, they obviously want to move through these dockets. We've read a lot about the backlog in immigration cases. What do they say? Well, the Justice Department, um, you know, defends the practice. It, it is legal. Um, and they said that precisely that, you know, the people need to change their address with the court and then it's up to local courts to figure out how they work their dockets. Um, so, so you know, they, they didn't give us too much, Damien, but they, they did defend the practice as, as, as legal and, and, you know, local jurisdictions can, can do it how they want to do it. And is this happening just in San Francisco or around the country? You know, it appears like it's just happening in San Francisco. It's a question we're now looking more broadly into. Um but the Justice Department did say it happens more often than many of us know, that it's not an uncommon practice. Um, what we wonder is the creation of a very specific docket, a return notice docket, where you intentionally send the, a notice for someone to come to court to an address that doesn't work to then put them onto this this deportation track to order them removed. That we don't know is happening, you know, en masse around the country. You know, advocates who we talk to, immigration attorneys, because they're on the front lines of seeing this, their colleagues around the country have not reported that these specific dockets are being created. So it leads us to believe it's just now happening in San Francisco, but this is reporting we're doing right now, Damien, and we will be following through on this. Deepa, I know that you met some people who are actually in this docket or, or who were impacted by this. Tell us about them. So one woman was ordered deported because she ended up having to flee domestic violence from the home where she landed upon coming to the U.S., which had the address that she gave to the immigration courts. And she was following 
ICE direction. She was maintaining her weekly check-ins with ICE by sending them a selfie on their own app that they put on her phone. So she figured that her address, they would have her new address. They knew she's in Connecticut. She had to move from the Bay Area. But what happened, Damien, was that on September 29th, she hadn't actually changed her address with the court, so she was ordered deported when she didn't show up even though she had been regularly checking in with ICE and still is checking in with ICE. And then there was another young man who I met who actually managed to get the letter that ordered him to court as part of this return notice docket, mainly because he had just moved to a different apartment and his neighbor gave him the notice. Um, Obviously, previous notices, his neighbor didn't do that and they went back. But what was really hard for him, even though he was lucky enough to get the notice and show up in court, was that he didn't know how to fill out the change of address form. And when I followed up with him a month after he was in court, he had only just done it. And he was struggling with it because not only does he not speak English nor know any English speakers who could help him, even Spanish is is a second language for him and a language he has not mastered. He speaks an indigenous language called Pocomchi. So this system and the form is all in English. So it's really hard for non-English speakers, especially when you're, you know, newly arrived. You you don't know English speakers to help you with something, you know, that's that's complicated like this. Deepa, it's a fascinating story. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle Immigration reporter Deepa Fernandez, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.